Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I used to be really big into marine aquariums, used to breed clownfish and have all sorts of different tank setups. And uh, I had a lionfish in one of my aquariums and you know, they're beautiful fish. They're super fun to have. Um, you can actually train them to hand feed in your aquarium. So they make really good, you know, aquarium pets. Yeah. Um, so the problem is when people don't want that pet anymore, they got to move or something like that. Um, it's always better to bring it back to the store you bought it from, um, but in Florida, you know, saltwater aquarium, saltwater environment. A lot of people just released them into the water. Right. So just like just like the pythons we have, you know, in the Everglades, that's that's the working theory that it was uh, introduced through the aquarium trade. Just folks wanting to get rid of their fish and dump them in canals, oceans, stuff like that. Well, my name is Tony Young, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. everybody welcome to the podcast today we're going to do an underwater episode today we don't have we haven't been doing a lot of spear fishing lately but i'd like to do more of it on the podcast and we have a great guest today captain tony young from forever young charters in isla Mirada, florida he is right behind the awesome restaurant the square grouper that is in isla Mirada. it's got all of Derek DeYoung's artwork in there it's a fantastic place if you're down there highly recommend that place tony's got his boat right behind and he is a great charter service uh, as he is specializing in spear fishing and particularly does well with the lionfish now if you know anything about the lionfish then you may know that while it's a beautiful fish it causes a lot of problems in the Florida Keys. It's a fish that has no predators, that is on the Florida Keys reefs and eats basically a ton of little reef fish, baby everything, the small little colorful fish that we all like to look at when we go snorkeling. And one lionfish can just eat a ton of those every single day. Basically their population is unchecked, except for people like Tony who go down there and are just spearing lots of lionfish. So Tony knows a lot about the lionfish, how they got there, what this problem looks like, and a real interesting conversation. So stand by for Tony Young with Forever Young Charters in Isla Mirada. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, 
crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. All right, man. Well, that's cool. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I want to learn about... I want to learn about all kinds of stuff. Um, so how did you get started doing what you're doing? Tell I mean, first of all, you're a, you're a, a run a dive operation in the Florida Keys, right? Yep. And yeah. so how did that yeah. happen for you? Yeah. So I own Forever Young Charter Company in Isla Mirada and, uh, I've been doing that for about three years, but before that I worked for a couple of different dive shops, uh, throughout the upper keys and um really just wanted to offer a unique experience for spearfishing you know kind of i saw you know all these charter boats i worked on a few of the um you know fishing charter boats in isla Mirada, and there wasn't really a, anybody offering that like six passenger more private experience for spearfishing so that was something i wanted to try to get into just right fill that niche and is that because you um have a history of of spearfishing yourself is that what you like to do or what yeah. Yeah. That's like my, my greatest passion right now. Lion fish hunting and spear and wahoo. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So spear and I, just, wahoo. I just like sharing that, sharing that with people. Right on. So on yeah. the spear and wahoo, do you do that um, throughout the year? Or is there a certain time that you, you really target that? Yeah, mainly in the winter months. So we're, unfortunately, we're pretty much at the tail end of wahoo season. Once the water temp gets, you know, around 79, 80 degrees, they start to disappear. But um yeah, just like the winter months through the first or second week of April is real good for Wahoo. And what about the moon? Are you really particular about the moon phase with them? Yeah. 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 Moon moon plays a, a big role. You know, Wahoo are kind of uh you know, an individual fish. A lot of times we'll pull one or two Wahoo, but around a full moon or new moon we'll see multiple fish school together. So yes. that's usually when we get the most uh, Wahoo trips is around different moon phases. Yeah. Right on. That's when I've had the best yeah. luck fishing for them. We had uh, we filmed an awesome um, Into the Blue show a few years ago. Well, quite a few yeah. years ago, actually. And it, we hit that full moon in October. And uh, yeah. man, it was it was on. It's it was awesome. really cool. Were you high, high speeding for them? Or? No, no. No, just yeah. uh, we were chumming on the anchor. And oh, nice. absolutely still. So yeah, I was with uh, Steve Roger. He's a guy like you, man. He loves to spearfish for him. So he knows how to, yeah. he knows how to do that so that you're. What? Yeah. What boat was he on? I think I actually watched that one. Um, well, his boat's called Spear One, but uh, we were, okay. we were on a 36 Yellowfin probably. Okay. Could have been any, any boat at that point. Um, yeah. I've watched a ton of stuff you guys do. So I'm sure I've came across it. All right. But well, that's cool. Yeah. This, this last full moon, we were, we were high speeding for him. We got eight in really? two hours. So I was like the best day of we had all year. Man, that's great. So it was really good. What, and so what's the record? What's your record? Um, for spearfishing. Yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. Like, I mean, you got eight. That sounds, that sounds yeah, that's, incredible. That's the most, yeah. That's the most for fishing. The most we had this year was, was three Wahoo on spear, but in a given day, like everybody's like, what's the number one advice? And it's like, don't miss the fish. <laughs> you know, we, we work hard all day to pull these fish in and find them. And when we get on them, it's just important to try to make sure the shot sticks. But yeah, we've had a lot of days where, you know, folks will miss a couple of fish here and there, but, um, yeah, we've had days where I've seen over 60 Wahoo throughout the day. Wow. You know, 
diving, which is pretty phenomenal. That is. So what's the setup? I mean, like as a charter, as a charter dive operation, you're going to go for a fish like Wahoo. I mean, that's pretty advanced, right? So there has to be some, some communication going in that the people that you're getting have enough experience to, to handle that. Like, how do you work? How do you handle that? Yeah, generally how it starts is we, you know, we get people that, that spearfish, uh, free dive and then, you know, spearfishing is kind of an evolution within the person, you know, you start with maybe on the reef with snappers and stuff like that. Then you work out a little bit deeper, look for groupers and then, and then stuff like that. So a lot of the people that we get, um, they've been spearfishing with us for a little while and they're looking for that next challenge. Um, but a really good segue into Wahoo is, is spearing for, for dolphin oh, okay. uh, yeah. because they're both pelagic fish. They're very fast swimming. Um, but they're, they're always, you know, dolphin are up on the surface a lot of times. Right. So, and they're different seasons. So, um, like we have one guy that dives with us around every full moon. So he books a lot of trips with us and, uh, we, we took him out in the summer, uh, two years ago to kind of get him used to the equipment. A lot of the equipment's the same. So it's, it's a lot. Usually I like to get people on the reef so we can practice with the equipment right. and everything. Well, and tell we- me about the equipment a little bit, because I, I've seen uh, a, a rig for tuna, you know, when, uh, yep. when Steve was getting ready to try to shoot a yellowfin tuna and there's a lot of gear, but can you walk me through the, the, the setup for, you know, Wahoo or, or big dolphin? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's much like tuna. You can expect the same thing. Um, in Florida, we can use spear guns, unlike the Bahamas. Um, and you know, one thing when you're, when you're hunting pelagic fish is the water's generally fairly clear, which you know. So, um, you know, judging your distance in the water is one of the hardest things and, and being able to get close enough to the fish for a shot is difficult. So we do use larger guns. Um, the ones that I carry are all kill shot spear guns and we use a blue water 65 or 70 inch. Um, so anywhere like 60 inch plus or 130, 130 centimeters, a good size gun. Um, so you're using four to four to five bands usually on those spear guns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we rig the entire, the entire gun is rigged as a breakaway system. So when you dive down and you shoot, um, you hang onto the gun and then the shaft and the lantern, everything breaks away from, from you. Okay. And that, that's attached to, um, between a 50 and 75 foot line that's floating on the surface. So when you dive down, you take that line down with you. Um, and then when you shoot, you break away from that system. And at the end of the line, uh, you know, you have your float, which is similar to a tuna rig. And some people like doing this, some people don't, but I really like doing this. I add a six foot bungee in between the float line and the float. And that, uh, kind of acts as, you know, like the bend in a rod. Right. So, you know, when that fish runs, uh, it'll stretch to a six foot bungee stretches about four times its its length. Um, so that mitigates a little bit of the shock. Right. So it doesn't tear out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the system that we, that we run with. Um, I also have a couple of real guns that we set up. So usually like, I like to have two to three divers in the water um, with the Wahoo or blue water rigs. And then I'm, I'm diving with a real gun just as a backup shot. Um, but we can shoot Wahoo on real guns. It's just, it's a lot of line moving. And if you shoot a larger fish and the keys, you know, if you get a fish over 40 pounds, it's pretty hard to land the fish on a reel uh, if you don't place the shot just right. Right. When they start running, <laughs> they're not, they're not stopping. So how much, how much line do you have on the reel? I got 200 feet on my, on my reel. 200 feet. Yeah. 200 feet. <laughs> so, and then I, and then at the back of the handle, you know, you got your handle on the bottom of the handle. I have a tuna clip that's uh 
attached in there. So if we do, if I do shoot something larger with the, with the real gun, I can clip that off on something else. So I can clip that off to a float line or I can get it to the boat real quick and they can clip it off on something. I gotcha. So, yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome, man. So what, yeah, (laughs) but a lot of gear too. So it's, it's, it's a hassle Yeah, yeah. sometimes. Well, when you have, when you have something like that and you're, you're going to go out for a charter, I mean, how many, how many spear fishermen, I'm asking because it seems like it seems like there's a tremendous amount of gear floating on the surface and and underwater. So how many people is it wise or safe to have doing that at a time? Yeah, I, I think I think two people with with a guide or yeah. three total. You know, you got because at that point, you know, last year we had a couple trips where guides would bring a lot of people, and that you know they want three four divers in the water, and everybody wants to use their own setup, which is fine. Um, but if you're, uh, when you're diving down, if you don't come straight back up and you cross over, you know, say you dive down and you swim 30 feet to your left before you come up and that, that long float line crosses someone else's, those lines could get tangled up. Right. So, so my job is, you know, to spot fish and help people make sure they see the fish. But then I spent a lot of time, you know, organizing float lines and all that. We did lose a fish last year because, uh, one of the float lines got tangled with another float line and it was just too much tension on the fish. Um, and ended up ripping out. It was just a, a shot placed towards the tail, you know, not a lot of, not a good holding shot, but right. Yeah. Yeah. I think two people is great, but we, uh, like, like blue water trips, if we get four people is, uh, is great. And then we alternate. So two in, two out, two okay. in, two out. Yeah. works super well. Then you got people on the surface too, watching out for mm-hmm. other things. Yep. Yeah. That seems, yep. that seems wise. And you'll just stay in with them all day long. I mean, all day. So, <laughs> I mean, you know how they are. Sometimes you can find them right away, but sometimes you got to look for a little while. So I think our longest trip this year was we were on the water for about 13 hours. Wow. <laughs> but we, yeah, it paid off. We found a school at the end um, and uh, we got three Wahoo in a matter of 40 minutes, 35, wow. 40 minutes. So, and that's great. Yeah. That's but great. we spent all day looking for them. Yeah. Well, this is no different than, than fishing, you know, same same kind of thing. You can look all day and then all of a sudden you find them right at the end or, or find them right at the beginning and then look all day for, for another one and never, never find it. It happens all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. so lionfish also is a big part of what you do, right? Yes. Yeah. So tell me about the lionfish because like that's, that is such a weird species to have, in, in the Florida Keys and like, do you have any idea how this happened or what are the theories about how we got this, uh, species all over our reefs? Yeah. So, um, I, I used to be really big into marine aquariums, used to breed clownfish and have all sorts of different tank setups. And, uh, I had a lionfish in one of my aquariums and, you know, they're beautiful fish. They're super fun to have. Um, you can actually train them to hand feed in your aquarium. So they make really good you know, aquarium pets. Yeah. Um, so the problem is when people don't want that pet anymore, they got to move or something like that. Um, it's always better to bring it back to the store you bought it from. Um, but in Florida, you know, saltwater aquarium, saltwater environment, a lot of people just released them into the water. Right. So just like, just like the pythons we have, you know, in the Everglades, that's, that's the working theory that it was, uh, introduced through the aquarium trade just folks wanting to get rid of their fish and dump them in canals, oceans, stuff like that. Wow. And are they really that tough that just like a few getting dumped in here and there can lead to this explosion that we have? I mean, I guess, I guess that's 
possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're actually a phenomenal species. If you, if you really look into them, um, I've done a lot of work with reef reef environmental education foundation. And they've kind of like spearheaded the, the lionfish invasion that we have in the Caribbean. And they're tracking these fish all over, um, South Florida and the Caribbean and off the coast as well. Um, but they are, they are really a phenomenal species. You know, they're, they're invasive here. So they're eating, they're not only not from here, but they're also having a negative impact on our reefs, eating a lot of our, you know, very important species like juvenile yellowtail snapper and juvenile groupers. Um, they love blue chromis for some reason. It seems like we've opened up a lot of the deeper fish that we catch and they're always full of blue chromis. You know, they have invasive spine or, uh, sorry, venomous spines, you know, so any predators that we have here, nurse sharks or eels or larger groupers, you know, it's when they have the options of their, of their natural prey, why would they want to go after something that is a little bit more work for them to digest? Right. Um, yeah, they reproduce really fast. Um, they're able to reproduce early in their life cycle. And uh, yeah, they're just a wild species all around. So when you go out on a day of, of diving, how many lionfish could you see? What's a, what's a regular day on this? I mean, you've obviously started finding spots where there may be more than, than others. Um, so a lot of people might try to avoid that. You're going to those spots so that you can actually spear them because they make great targets. I would imagine for, for people oh, and, to yeah, spear fish. Yeah. So how many do you see in a, in a day? Like how bad is this problem? It, it, it depends. So a lot of our trips that we do for spear fishing, lionfish is, um, is one we offered, you know, targeted lionfish charters, but then it's also, we, also like a bonus fish. So if people want to go for snapper or grouper, you know, then we see these guys on the reef, we'll take them too. Um, this last year we did, when we did the Derby, we shot 395 lionfish in a day and a half. In a day and a half. A, yeah. Which is a record. So we, we beat the record. Um, but an average charter, like if we focus, you know, four, four, four tank dives, um, you know, with two or three divers, an average day we can get between 25 and 50 lionfish. Yeah. And that's, that's average level, you know, uh, regular diving, um, nothing too, you know, too difficult. So if you're going for numbers like that, like what's the setup that you're using, uh, to, to hold these fish? I mean, they got these venomous spines. I've seen all kinds of different contraptions that people use PVC pipes with like a, with like a, a flap on top. Um, and then different, types of spears that you're using? What's, what's the setup if you're going to go for, for numbers like you're talking about? Yeah. The, I think the, the most important thing is just to, when we, when you see one lionfish, there's generally more around. So you, when you get one, you want to be able to get the other ones, you know, as fast as possible so you can move forward. So the, the pole spear that, that I like to use is anywhere from, uh, you know, three, three to four feet. So it is a little bit longer. And the benefit to doing that is you don't have to get as close to the fish. Um, so it keeps you away from the reef a little bit. Um, and, uh, just a regular pole spear works great. Um, we stay away from spear guns just because you can get, you know, that spear tip can be about four to six inches away from the fish and they're not going to move generally. Okay. Um, and, uh, so a spear guns just not needed. And the tip that we use is a, is a paralyzer tip. It's a three prong tip. We're actually fairly common in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, but for here, we don't use a lot of them for spear fishing, but the benefit here is that when you, when you, um, shoot the fish, the, the barbs activate in the fish and lionfish are generally smaller. You know, it's, it's hard to find one over 17, 18 inches. So these work just fine, but you're able to get that fish off without touching it. 
So mm. if you use a traditional, a lot of pull spears come with a, you know, like a regular flopper or type or, you know, some sort of breakaway tip. Right. Yeah. Once you shoot the lionfish, you got to actually touch the fish to get that, that, uh, that tip off there. Um, the containment system that we use, I'd be surprised a lot of people we take out for the first time, they've been trying this and they try to put them on stringers or put them in lobster bags and stuff like that. What's really important is you just try to keep the spines away from you as much as possible. So that's why you see those larger PVC type builds mm -hmm. work great. Um, there's a company called Zookeeper that makes, uh, I believe it's uh, nine inches wide, you know, and it's, you know, they make all different shapes and sizes of them, but it's basically just a, a cylinder PVC cylinder with a removable top and bottom and the top has a funnel. So when you go to stick the fish in the funnel is able to expand. Um, and then once the fish gets in there, you can pull the spear out. The fish gets caught on that yeah. funnel and you can, you can put it, you know, you can really put fish in there really fast and get the, and get to the next fish quickly. Right on. So how many can fit in that, in that big, uh, nine inch thing? Yeah, it, it, it depends. We, um, a lot of the fish that we shoot, um, we, we donate to restaurants. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't want to stuff too many in there because, you know, last thing you want is other spines getting another fish. Right. But depending on the size, an average size lionfish and the, the zookeeper, um, you can get about 15 to 12 to 15 fish is pretty comfortable in there. Mm -hmm. And when the spines get in other fish, that infects the meat and it's no good after that? No, no, it doesn't. Um, uh, it doesn't affect it. We just got to remove it. Um, the protein is, uh, or sorry, the venom is a protein based venom. So surprisingly you can actually take a whole lionfish and bake it and that heat's going to break down that protein. Okay. Yep. So, so if you, if you do, you know, it's, it's, so if you do have spines that, that go into the meat or something like that, you, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to cook it, but no, we've never had an issue with it. Have you ever been hit? Yes. Too many times. <laughs> and what's it, what's that like? Because you hear all kinds of stories. I've heard, you know, one of my friends got hit and I mean, he, he, he said that he almost lost his hand. I don't know. He didn't know what happened, I guess, yeah. and let it go for a while. But what, uh, what's it like when you get hit? I think it's different for everybody. Um, I think I've been stung so many times by them that maybe your body picks up a immunity for it after a while. Yeah. Um, but what happens with me is I'll, I'll get, uh, you know, a little bit of swelling and it's just kind of like a, a warm tingly pain that, that works around that area where you got stuck. And then if you don't, um, treat it, it can work its way up. So if you get pricked in your thumb, you know, if you just let it be, um, I've had that pain trickle up my arm and then into my shoulder. Wow. Um, yeah, but it's, for me, it's not bad. It doesn't really bother me. I can, I can, you know, it's, it's a nuisance, but I can continue on with, with my day, no problem. Um, but I have had a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're out for like 45 minutes, you know, just need to focus on just that. Um, what we do on the boat is because it's a, a protein based venom and he does break it down. We keep some heat pads on the boat. Um, you can get some cheap ones from Walgreens, CVS, anything like that. Or else zookeeper makes an awesome one that actually you, you boil this package hmm. it stores that energy and then you let it cool. And there's a little aluminum snap that you click. And when you, when you click that, it creates a reaction and it heats this pack up instantly. So you could have this on your boat for three months and not use it. And then, and then once you activate it, it, it heats up for a, a significant temperature. And you can just put that over your, your wound or where you, where you got stung and actually breaks, it actually dissipates the pain pretty quickly. Really? Just like, yeah. um, 
I mean, that's that's the same with like jellyfish stings. That a lot of people say yeah, that, right? With vinegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. vinegar works also on on lionfish or what? No, not on lionfish. No, I've just, just heard that. Jellyfish. I've just heard that you know if you get stung, you could use hot water. Uh, yes, hot on water the, works great on the the jellyfish as well. Like what, um, what you're saying yes. is is that it works really well on the lionfish. But I was wondering yeah. if it was the same principle. Yeah. So jellyfish have nematocysts. Their stinging cells are similar to corals. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is to stay away from fresh water with, with mm. jellyfish because that's, that's not natural for those, uh, those stinging cells. And the nematocysts will actually bury deeper in your, in your skin. Mm. So you want to stay away from fresh water. Um, but yeah, just like, um, you know, just like a bee sting, with a lionfish, you know, if, if you're, if you're drawing blood with a bee sting, just a little bit of blood, I, I, I just put pressure on that and try to push that out. I mean, think about right. if you ever get bit by a snake, people, you know, the old stories say stuff. <laughs> so, so I do the same thing. If I get stuck by lionfish, I'm like, Oh man, not again. You know? And then I just put a little pressure and try to squeeze some of that, you know, venom out, blood out. And if it still hurts, put a heat pad on there for a while. Um, if you don't have a, have a heat pad and you got outboard engines, you could, put a small bucket, you know, out where the engine is, um, you know, releasing its water that it's been using the engine to cool. Right. So that that's a little bit warmer than what, you know, the ambient water would be in the ocean. So I mean, that's a small thing you can do. Otherwise that, just wait it out. That heat pad though. That's the way to go in your opinion. It is. Yeah. And the best thing is you can recharge it. So with the zookeeper one, you know, after you use it and it, and it where the heat, you know, um, wears off, you can bring it back to your house, boil it, let it cool and it resets it. So you buy it once you can always reuse it. Wow. So when you get, um, 300 lionfish in a day, how many, I mean, that's like, what were the hours of that tournament? Yeah. So that's a sun up to sundown and we got a day and a half. So we were, we left the dock about five 30 in the morning. We were on our first spot waiting. So as soon as the sun broke the surface, we went down with flashlights and, uh, and we, we had a team of four. We're allowed four people for that tournament. So we would have two people diving together and two people on the surface. And as soon as we would come up, the next two would go down. So, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of planning involved. So we, we have every site, you know, mapped out exactly where we're going to be. Um, and we plan it out so that with scuba diving, you got to do surface intervals, um, in between each dive. Um, so we make sure that we're running, you know, a pr- appropriate amount between the dive sites to plan out the surface intervals on time and everything. Um, and then we have backup sites just in case someone's on the spot that we wanted to go to. So we're very systematic about the tournaments. Right. And what's the, is there, what's the prize for winning a tournament like that? Yeah. So this year, well, we, we get, we sell the fish to whole foods, which is great. So then they have the, they have the fish available for their, uh, for their store. So a lot of the whole foods, if you see lionfish, a good chance it came from our boat, which is great. Um, and then the, the prize is around $2,000, everything included. So it's not, not as much as a large fishing tournament, but there is a lot of money involved, you know, for, for going out for a day. And then there's a lot of local prizes, which is great. What about the, what about the price of lionfish? How does that fluctuate through the year? Like you say, you got, you got a whole foods contract. Yeah. Yeah. So we sell, um, I'm able to distribute. I got, you know, all the, all the permits and everything to all the licenses to sell lionfish to whole foods. And, um, it's a couple of dollars a pound hole. The the great thing that they do is they take it. You don't have to gut the fish or anything. They just take it as is. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they're waiting at the tournament spot. So when you're weighing in the fish and everything, they're there ready with their, with their truck, you know, their ice down truck ready to take the fish, which is nice. Wow. Um, 
but really I'm just, I just like promoting the conservation aspect of it, you know, and, and awareness. A lot of people still have a disconnect between the venomous and the poisonous. And a lot of people are scared to eat lionfish, even though they're phenomenal. So we, we, unless we're getting a big haul like that, we like to just donate it to local restaurants. And, uh, which ones, which ones like it? What restaurants are getting your fish? Yeah. So we've done a lot with chef Michaels. Yeah. Um, a lot I've of our clients. There. So yeah, I've eaten, yes, I've eaten yes. your fish. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of our clients actually, um, most clients like to take their fish. So, I mean, even if we get 30 lionfish in a day, they're, they're like, they know it's the best meat they can get. So they're all about it. Um, but yeah, chef Michael's taken some, um, square grouper is, is, is the restaurant that right at the Marina I run yeah. out of. Um, so we're trying to work something with them right now. Um, of course right now is a tough time, but I'm trying to get them so that we can have a, you know, an added menu item, a special when we get a lot of fish that they can add it as like a whole fried or something like that. Yeah. So when your clients, uh, get their fish or whatever, you go out on a successful charter, how are you letting them leave with the fish? Is there any responsibility to, to clip those fins? I see people clipping, you know, where it looks like they're taking scissors or whatever and clipping, clipping the sharp part of the fin off. Is that going to protect you or do you still need to be careful or how do you kind of suggest that people kind of transport the fish from, you know, the, the cooler or the live well to the kitchen? Right. So as soon as we shoot the fish, um, the nice thing about the zookeepers or whatever contain, containment device you decide to put your lionfish in on your dive, we just remove the top and we dump them right into our fish box. So we don't even handle the fish. Um, once we get back to the dock, whether it's a wahoo, a grouper, a lionfish, or, or anything, we, we generally always fillet the fish for our guests. Okay. Um, unless it's, they really like to do it, you know, but we always take care of the lionfish for them. Um, we, we don't remove the spines. Um, uh, right away we flay, we take the flays off with the spines on the fish. We've done so many that it is more of a easy process for us. Um, and then we give them just the flays. We check the flays, make sure there's no spines or anything in them. Um, and we actually do remove the spines before we throw them back in and we give it to, uh, a couple locals that make jewelry out of them. Oh, out really of the spines. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really? What kind of jewelry yeah. do you make? Or do they, they make, make uh, all sorts of stuff. So they make, um, our good friend, Lena, um, she, uh, uh, she makes some, uh, linefish jewelry. She makes earrings and necklaces, um, and d different types of bracelets. And it's really cool, actually very beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it, a lot of times, like when I go to chef Michael's, a lot of times they offer the, the whole fish, like the whole yep. fried fish. And it even has the, the, um, the fins on it you know, and it does look like they've been clipped. Like, that's what I was asking about. If you're going to take the whole fish from the cooler, like it's obviously wise not to handle them as, or handle them as little as, as needed. But if you're going to do, do that, take it home and, and like fry the whole fish or, or cook the whole fish. Do you, what do you do with those spines? Yeah. Good question. So we, we remove all the venomous spines. So there's, there's 13 on the fish that are, uh, venomous. So we, which, we, which we, ones are venomous? It's up on the dorsal. So there's, uh, on the, on the dorsal, uh, dorsal fins up top. And then, uh, there's three by the anals and um, lower, uh, pectoral fins. There's two on each side there. So we remove all of the venomous spines, but we do leave the tail and the larger, the big pectoral fins, because when you fry those, they taste great. They're like potato chips. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, one, one cool trick about lionfish for, if you're doing it whole fried for scaling, um, I don't know if you've tried this with yellowtail, but if you have a good high pressure, you know, freshwater hose and you hold the tail of the fish, 
and you spray against the scales, they actually come right off. You don't really? have to scale the fish. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, same for yellowtail too. Uh-huh. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And, um, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, so the lionfish, um, people eat them completely whole, um, but you're, you're filleting them. Do you have, like, a, a recipe that you like the best for them? What do, what do you like to do with them? Yeah, my favorite's whole fried. Yeah, I I love the whole fried <laughs> fish. I mean, especially the way Chef Michaels does it with that sauce. It's just crazy good. Um, but when we cook at at home, I I love doing lionfish ceviche. I mean, with all fish, whether it's wahoo, yellow jack, lionfish, I if we can eat it sashimi or ceviche or something like that, it's my favorite. But I yeah, I make a mango ceviche that I really like. Um, so just some red onions, some cilantro. Uh, lime and lemon, mango, salt and pepper, a little bit of jalapeno, um, and then nice little pieces of lionfish, and that's that's phenomenal. It's interesting. I haven't really seen the lionfish in the sushi restaurants. You would think that that would that would be making its way into the sushi restaurants, especially with the um, kind of the Asian proclivity for kind of weird species yeah, like fish. that. We've, I've been to a few places in Miami for shows on lionfish and, um, that we've been invited to. And, and I think the biggest problem is just, it's just getting the fish. There's a lot of work that goes into harvesting lionfish. That's why, you know, even though you wish it'd be on every menu in the keys, you know, it, it, the, the best way to get lionfish is to go down and shoot them. Right. Um, they do come in on lobster traps as bycatch and stuff like that. But I think that right now it's just, it's just hard to, to supply lionfish to different places. Yeah. So one of the things that I was wondering if you knew about, like that lionfish, the the way that you just described it, it has a couple of poisonous spines on the dorsal, a couple on the anal, a couple on the pectoral fins. I mean, that is a lot of protection for that fish. So do you know about their native habitat and what preys on these fish and why that fish would have developed such... I mean, that's like a lot of protection for a fish. It is. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of venomous spines. And, um, if you look at a larger male, you actually notice his entire head is like an armored car. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. Like it's actually, if you just, if you just grab the head of a lot of the larger male lionfish, there's so many little spikes and hard plates that it's actually sometimes sharp and hard to hang on to. They use it as a defense mechanism against other male lionfish, but um, yeah, here they have no natural predators. They're from the Indo-Pacific, um, where they do have native predators over there. So, um, what, what, what fish eats them over there? 
I know they're self-regulated with other lionfish. Um, I'm not, uh, unfortunately I haven't been to the Indo-Pacific. I'm not too sure exactly like what is regulating them over there. Uh, we do know that in the Keys and in the Caribbean, they are starting to be eaten by larger groupers. Some eels and sharks are eating them. So in their natural environment, if they've always been around, naturally they're going to become a food source, mm -hmm. but it's just here. It's, you know, these are our larger predators here just learning that they are a food source and they're viable. Yeah. Um, I saw some videos. Um, there was one video that went particularly viral and it was of a, a diver that shot one and then, you know, kicks it off the, the, the spear, the pole, pole spear and kind of entices a mutton snapper to eat it. And the thing yeah. comes over and eats it. And then it eats another one and another one. And, yep. but like, it seemed like it was kind of learning that it could get those from divers, but maybe not so much that it could just go over there and, and eat any of them that it wanted. Are you seeing any natural predation? Like, have you witnessed that more, more than once or more often than, than you used to? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that's hasn't always been clear about lionfish is, is, uh, when you shoot them, it's, it's important not to feed predators. Like you don't want to feed it to a nurse shark or an eel because you're, tr you're training that nurse shark to, to eat the lionfish, but you're also training him to affiliate divers with food. Right. And that's, that's one of the problems that we have, especially in the keys. Um, but I have noticed we did, we did a lot of work with reef, uh, this summer where we put down some hydrophones and some cameras and we studied lionfish that way. And we did notice that, some nurse shark, when nurse sharks would swim over, some of the lionfish would scour, they would hide from line from the nurse sharks. I have also noticed that some of the sites that we would do for the derbies, um, that would have large numbers of lionfish, they are now inhabited by very large Goliath grouper. Hmm. And before there wasn't Goliath grouper and we had a lot of lionfish and now we have almost no lionfish and there's a lot of Goliath grouper. Wow. So I mean, if, if you know that you can eat it, it'd be like eating popcorn, you know, right. especially on some sites, cause there's so many lionfish. I mean, it's gotta be pretty easy for them to eat them compared to other fish, but. Right. But I wonder, yeah. I wonder what the, the, um, you know, the poison in the spines do to a, a Goliath grouper. I mean, do they just give them a little, a little heat sensation like, like you're getting <laughs> and then it's all good and, and they just move on or, or is it, is that a reason that they would maybe eat a couple and then not eat any more? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. What's exciting about lionfish is that they're, we didn't know a lot about them and a lot of research is starting to come out. So this is one of the questions that is, is it, is it a healthy food for native species to be hunting native predators? But yeah, it seems like, um, you know, even, even in the marinas, you know, when we're filleting these fish, it seems like if, you know, like some of like, you know, pelicans, unfortunately always end up eating some of the scraps and, and stuff like that. But, um, the smaller ones they'll eat, but the larger ones they don't, huh. you know? So it's like, they kind of, it's like they'd have a tolerance for them, but at some point they won't take them. Right. So what about the tarpon and stuff at the dock? Are they eating every, all the carcasses? Uh, we've had a couple come in to, to our dock. Um, surprising the tarpon, tarpon kind of stay away from, uh, the larger, you know, the larger lionfish and stuff like that. They more like the skins and, yeah. you know, the, you know, the Frank, you know, little pieces of meat that we throw back that can't eat. But, um, surprisingly manatees have been one of the main, Man, what is it, eaters. what is it with that? Because I saw that maybe, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, we caught a swordfish, um, 
we were cleaning the swordfish and it was at Murray Marine down in Key West. And man, this manatee comes over and he just starts chewing on the skin. And that was the first time that I had yeah. seen it. And it was the first time that Steve Roger had seen it. Like, it was like, what? That's weird. And now I see it all the time. Like Nick Stanzik puts up videos of manatees eating yeah. that stuff. What is going on with that? Why are, is that just an opportunistic thing that they're like, well, I, I mean, if we hang around these fish cleaning tables. This is what's, this is what's here. Seems yeah. like a vegetarian, but I don't know. That's such a weird thing. I, yeah. People ask all the time. It's like, well, I mean, we like lionfish. Maybe they do too. <laughs> so they just, um, yeah, but they're eating all yeah. kinds of stuff. I yeah, mean, they're, they're eating, all, like, yeah, they're eating like, all sorts of stuff. I think, uh, I think maybe they, they're adapting, change and learning, but yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a good source of food for them, but they just like, don't even seem like they're really eating it. They kind of like chew on it and then spit it out, chew on it, yeah. spit it out, chew on it, spit it out. And they do that for like an hour while you're watching yeah. it. And then you think, Oh, it's going down this time. And he puts it, the whole thing in his mouth and then spits it all out again. And then just kind of almost, I don't know. It's like they're chewing on it as much as eating it. They could be getting moisture out of it. That's one of the reasons, you know, it's terrible to feed, feed manatees, but a lot of people for some reason feed them lettuce, but they're getting a lot of moisture out of that, a lot of fresh mm. water. So that could be one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your, um, what's your forecast on the lionfish population? Are we, are, are people like you making a dent in the lion population, lionfish population? Do you think maybe that you're seeing natural predation? Are you seeing more or less than you were seeing a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think we're making a huge impact on the invasion. Um, and w the main reason I would say that is because we we're still catching a lot of lionfish, but they're a lot smaller than they used to be. Oh, okay. So they're a lot smaller. So, you know, as lionfish, as lionfish grow, they're able to reproduce more obviously in their life cycle. And when, when the derbies weren't as popular, when the tournaments weren't as popular and where the education wasn't necessarily there, where people are actually requesting you know, to go hunting online for lionfish. It was just kind of a bonus fish that we shot on charters, you know, mm -hmm. um, if people were interested. Um, but now that we're actually targeting them specifically, a lot of trips out a year and with the tournaments, we're removing large numbers. So we still see a lot of lionfish, but they're significantly smaller. A lot of them aren't even worth filleting, hmm. uh, but we're still removing them. Any, you know, even just a few inches. Wow. Um, yeah, we shot the state record fish a few years back and... We, you know, for us to see anything close to that, it's been quite a while. So I think, I think we're making a huge impact. For do you, do you think that that's the, or is that the same thing that you're hearing from, you know, people like yourself that they go to these tournaments or whatever, that it, it's getting harder and harder to get the big ones and, and few less than there used to be. Yeah, I would, I would, I would assume so. The, the tough, the hard thing is, um, you know, with the tournaments is that, you know, as, as a, as a charter operation, the places that we're doing the tournaments we're going to throughout the year with, with customers. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's one thing I, I like being vocal about is there's no, we don't really have secret hunting holes or anything. We just, we just kind of know what, what the environment that they prefer. And that's where we go for lionfish. Where a lot of the derbies though, say people are only going there for, um, you know, maybe one, one trip out of a year, two trips out of a year, you know, for people for tournaments, they right. let those, those spots stack up all year and then they go hit them. Right. Um, yeah. So they might be a little bit larger. Yeah. So let's talk about the tournaments. Like the, the first tournament that, that happened, you know, I mean, I understand it obviously, but some people might not 
kind of understand how killing all of these fish is a conservation move. So maybe you could kind of just give a briefing on how these tournaments started and how that relates to conservation. Because, I mean, the lionfish is an invasive species. A lot of people might, outside of the state of Florida, might not actually understand that. It's a beautiful fish. Why wouldn't you want it on the reef? You know, like what kind of damage, and we kind of touched on it right at the beginning, but talk about um, how these tournaments started in, in that kind of a, a context, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole idea of the lionfish tournaments and derbies is to promote education on the species. So just to build awareness and, and make sure that everybody's understanding, um, you know, the, the invasion of lionfish and then, uh, you know, why, why they're an issue and why we need to address it. So, and then also making sure that people understand that they are safe to eat, that they're venomous, not poisonous. And that's, that's one of the, one of the major things is, is that it's, it's okay to go hunt these fish and they're, they're good to eat. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, you know, two sides. A lot of people that are in conservation, they don't like removing any species from the water, you know? Um, but well, that's, you know, that, that's, that, you know, that's one where I just can't agree with that. Like an invasive species, like talk about why an invasive species that comes into an area like the reef of the Florida Keys, why, why is that a problem? Yeah. So we have non-native species, non-native species are from a different area, but they don't have a negative impact on our ecosystem here where lionfish are not only, um, non-native, they're invasive. So they're, they're here, they're not supposed to be here and they're having a very negative impact. And what we're seeing is that, you know, one average size lionfish can have up to 62 prey fish in its stomach. So if you're looking at what the fish that they're eating are, are juvenile fish that, that we rely heavily on, um, they're, you know, those yellowtail snappers, those chromis, those beautiful reef fish, and they're, they're eliminating a lot of the smaller juvenile species that, you know, contribute to the overall biomass of that population. Yeah. So that's and, they what's... Don't, and they don't have a lot of natural predators at this point. So if, if we, if they go unchecked, you know, the fish biomass over time goes significantly down. Right. And, and that's, you know, those are some unknowns necessarily of how, you know, not only do you not, are you not able to see these beautiful little fish? This is one of the reasons why you go to the reef anyway, there's just tons of life and there's all these small little colorful fish. And, and that's, that's a great experience for somebody that's never been snorkeling. But when you remove those off of the reef, like that's kind of an unknown. It it can't be good that, that there's, you know, tons of fish that are being removed from the reef, not to mention the, the, uh, real obvious ones of they're eating baby yellowtail snappers. Those are, those are fish that you want to grow up. They're eating baby everything. And, um, and then they have no natural predators. So they're, they're allowed, the population is allowed to go unchecked, um, except for people like yourself that are, that are, you know, keeping it in check, but they're not even supposed to be here in the beginning. So, that's that's where the conservation comes in of let's you know nature can't do its part here because there is no natural predator so you have to become the predator right and and two two big parts that too is that because they are underwater um you know a lot of people don't see how bad they are um a lot of people don't aren't able to make the connection so if you're snapper fishing and you're catching yellowtails and doing great it's hard to pay attention to an invasion that's you know going to limit that yellowtail fishery in the future right. um, based off of what they're eating. 
um, same as location. Uh, there's a lot of dive shops in the Florida Keys, all passionate about conservation. So a lot of the places that you know guests and visitors to the Florida Keys go to are with these with these dive shops. They're going to areas that are dove regularly. So if you go to an area that's dove regularly, chances of there being a lot of lionfish are pretty slim because they're constantly being dove, constantly being removed. But if you go to a spot, say a deeper reef ledge or you know a shallow patch reef that nobody knows about. You know, and you see a lot of these fish, you're, you're like, you can really connect the dots. There's some sites that, um, you know, that, that we go for the derbies and, and we sometimes see 30 to 60 lionfish on a single location. Wow. And, yeah. And when you see when, what can happen if, they, if they're not addressed, it's devastating. So you've been making great progress, you and others. Um, how do you think this coronavirus issue is going to, I mean, like... A lot of people that I'm talking to are thinking that, you know, if you remove pressure off the fish at this particular time of the year, which has never really happened before, um, there are not a lot of people out there fishing or certainly record low numbers of people fishing. So it's giving like the tarp and the permit, the bonefish, the, the, the offshore species, it's giving them an opportunity to kind of have a reset or a rest. It's given the earth in certain places like you're hearing about, you know, they're, they're able to see, see mountains in China that they haven't been able to see for years. You're seeing, you're seeing that everything was basically put on pause. So for a lot of the earth's environment, it is an opportunity for that to rebound, to reset, to kind of rest and heal but in this situation, you're making progress on on the elimination of the lionfish, and then all of a sudden, a tremendous number of people like yourself are not able to go like you once were, you know, a few weeks ago. How do you do? You think that that's going to have any any um, uh, give these lionfish a chance to kind of rebound like some of the other fish that we want to rebound? But in this situation, we kind of don't. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. A hundred percent on that. So with lionfish, I mean, there, there's, there's no secret to when we do tournaments or anything like that, we go to the same places that we like taking people diving at the, the thing is that we let the spe- the spots rest. So we have enough spots that we just don't go back for four to six weeks. And that's enough time for the lionfish to come back. We remove them. I think that's the most effective way for us to make sure that our, you know, we're removing as many fish as we can for the amount of energy and effort that we're able to put in. Um, so you get a reef, you hit a reef, eliminate all the lionfish and you go back a month later, there's more lionfish. So we already knew that was a, that was happening. So yeah. now, now that we're not out there diving, other people aren't there diving, removing them, uh, it's definitely going to allow them to rebound, um, a little bit, unfortunately, but, um, like I said, the lionfish are a lot smaller than they were. So at least like the fish that are, that are, are, you know, moving around aren't, aren't as large, right. at least in the areas that we've been going. seems like kind of a, a double-edged sword for you because, you know, you're known as, as the guy to go to for, for spearing lionfish. And, and I would think that, you know, lionfish is the perfect target for your first time going spearfishing. Oh, I mean, there's, yeah. there's tons of them. There's lots of targets. They're m- slow moving, easy to, easy to hit. And, uh, yeah, and they taste great. So it's kind of a, a a double-edged sword, I would think, that that's a tremendous amount of your charter business. And as you continue to do this, you are making progress towards eliminating the lionfish, but it also is, 
you know, it's a moneymaker for you. Yeah. So like, how do you, how do you kind of balance that? I mean, would you prefer that there be no lionfish or what? Yeah. I mean, my heart and the core of my business is in conservation. I mean, that's what I went to college for. I've done a lot of internships around that. And that's what I'm passionate about, you know, aside from spearfishing is treating spearfishing as a sustainable way to harvest fish. And I mean, if we could remove all the lionfish, that would be great because it would allow other species to, you know, do much better. You know, that would help restore native fish stocks that, you know, in the future. So but what we do is we, we know that there's areas that, you know, aren't being dove uh, just off the geographical location. So um, when we do a full day charter, it's, it's four dives and we usually do about an hour surface in between dives. So instead of running the boat slow, we just run the boat a little bit faster, go a little bit farther. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, when we go to one spot, we let it sit for a month. That's not because we're trying to let the lionfish population stock back up. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, if we can only dive this many charters in a month and there's this much area to cover. Um, we've got it kind of dialed in where we can cover as much ground, put a lot of effort in on different sites. And then by the time we get back, it's kind of like we're restarting, yeah. you know, and in turn, line fish have been getting smaller, but the, the goal is to just keep removing as many as possible. Right on. So. Right on. Well, um, and I hope that we get back to normal here. Uh, have you been able to take charters during the, during the quarantine? Not really. No, I mean, we're in the keys where, um, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're on necessarily lockdown, but, uh, visitors aren't allowed to enter or exit the Florida keys unless you're residents. So we've, I've been doing a few things with locals and getting locals out, but, yeah. uh, my fiance and I, we've been trying to, you know, stick to ourselves. We have been doing a lot of fishing and diving on our own and we've been enjoying that, but yeah, not so much on the charter side right now. Yeah. The, no, the local client is, uh, when you were telling me about the one guy that fishes with you or, or dives with you a lot for the Wahoo, I was thinking maybe that's a local guy that I wish yeah. uh, that, that's gold. <laughs> that's gold right now. If yeah, got a local. We got a few people that are helping us out through this time, but you know, uh, running a couple of days a week, but it's definitely not what it was. So we're, but there's always things to be done. So getting caught up on a lot of things that needed to do and been enjoying time on the water, exploring new spots and, um, got out a lot of, a lot of days towards the end for fun for Wahoo. So that yeah. was great, you know, before the run ended. So. All right. But, well, if somebody wanted to go, uh, with you when, when we get back to normal, how would they find you? How would they learn about your charter business and how would they book you? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, on Instagram, it's Captain Tony Young, uh, my Instagram, Facebook, and then our website is diveyoung.com. We're located at Isla Mirada Marina, right next to Square Grouper in Isla Mirada, Florida. Um, my number is 305-680-8879. So Instagram or the website is a great, you can book right online through Instagram or through the website directly as well. Right on, man. Right on. Well, uh, I, uh, I hope that, uh, that you get back to normal. I love that new square grouper there. It's got all, uh, my buddy, Derek DeYoung's art in, in the place. It yeah, looks really great. The food's fantastic. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite places. So I hope that, uh, everything gets back to normal real soon here and, um, uh, you're full for the summer, but, uh, it was great talking with you, man. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to go down there and do a little spear fishing, especially if you got kids, uh, this is a great opportunity to get your kids in the water, 
with a pole spear and um and let them have some real success i mean tony you can um you can go like really shallow for the for the for the lionfish right yeah yeah and we and tom we love working with families and kids and new divers experienced divers all ages uh yeah we we can find them on patch reefs and shallow reef ledges um the larger numbers we see a little bit deeper but we do have some good spots in you know 15 to 25 feet of water that we can even go even for free diving too yeah i mean that's that's the deal you know with a kid is to do something that's not too intimidating have success and, you know, be able to kind of call it at any point. So like a lot of times with the lobstering, people go all the way down there, you catch your limit really fast and then the day's kind of over. But if you incorporate like a little bit of spearfishing, like, like some, um, lionfish in, in there, you can really make a nice day of it. And your kids are getting some, some real experience. They're having success. Then, you know, the reward is a little bit later. Everybody eats it. You know, it's, it's awesome. I mean, that's a great, that's a great opportunity. So if you're interested in going, I highly suggest Tony, he'd be great. And, uh, you can look him up at all those different, um, social media platforms that he said, plus your website, right? You told us what your website was. Yep. yep. Diveyoung.com. Okay. Diveyoung.com. All right. Until next week, we will see you later. All right. Thanks, Tony. That was great. Like I said, man, if you guys want to take your kids down and do something special, this is this is a, a really good one. You could fish a couple of days. You could go go diving with Tony. You could uh, just look around, kick around the keys, maybe go sailing, see the sunset. That's a great vacation. One that I highly recommend. And one that is, you know what, if you don't have a boat and you, um, you've never done this before, I highly recommend going with somebody like Tony because it's just, you're going to be right on the fish. He's got all the right equipment. Everything is good. Just, it, it just makes it a lot better. So highly recommend it. Go with him and, uh, and check it out. I think you're really going to like it. As always, this episode is brought to you by Waypoint TV. You can go to waypointtv.com, go to Ways to Watch, and you can find out how to watch it on all your devices. But one of the things that's really interesting right now is that Waypoint TV is making all of these distribution deals with other type of of television platforms. If you have a Samsung TV, there's something called Samsung Plus. It's free TV that's right on your your Samsung TV. That there is a Waypoint TV channel there. It's all for free. You go there, you'll see our shows into the blue, Sweetwater, Flats Class, Local Knowledge. You see all of these great TV shows on there plus hunting shows on Samsung Plus TV. Then you can look through the different apps and you can see Zumo and Pluto. And this weekend, we just had a big marathon of saltwater experience on Saturday. And then there was a marathon of Into the Blue on Sunday, thanks to our friends at Waypoint TV. They got that hooked up for us. And uh, man, more people are seeing the show now than ever before. The digital revolution is here and Waypoint is leading the charge there. So go to Waypoint TV, find out how you can watch it on your devices at home, like for you know video on demand or go to a live channel like samsung plus all right pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment 
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.